Well, again, good morning. It is great to see you this morning because I'll tell you, it has been a rough few weeks in the Cloud household. It all started a few weeks ago when my daughter, Abigail, she's 10, 11 months old, she got hand, foot, and mouth disease. And if uh, you don't know what hand, foot, and mouth disease is, first of all, if you do know what it is, you can relate to the pain that we went through in the last few weeks. But if you don't know what hand, foot, and mouth disease is, let me share with you my great insight and wisdom from uh, WebMD. Um, WebMD, we know, is making medical experts of all of us. And so um, uh, let me share with you what hand, foot, mouth disease is. Really, it's not, at the end of the day, it's really not that big of a deal. It's a viral infection. It lasts for a week to 10 days. And the most notable feature of hand, foot, and mouth disease is a terrible rash that breaks out on your hands, feet, and mouth. Uh, one of the things, by the way, doctors, I love doctors, got a lot of respect for our medical community, but uh, they need help with PR. I mean, we got to come up with better names than hand, foot, mouth disease, and chicken pox, and things like this. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> um, I thought this week as I was doing all my medical research online, that if this whole preaching thing doesn't work out for me, then maybe a medical field might be something I need to look into. Uh, But uh, as we were nursing Abigail back to health, by the way, um, it was a rough week. Hannah, for example, uh, because of just the discomfort that Abigail had, Hannah has this little tracking device on her phone where she can track Abigail's sleep patterns. And on one particular night alone, Abigail woke up 21 times in a single night. Can you imagine how rough that is for your baby to wake up 21 times in one night? I can only imagine because I slept through it just fine. Um, See, like any father, like any good father, when my children get sick, I just avoid them like the plague, right? Um, That's what dads do. Uh, God in his grace and in his mercy designed it in such a way that when kids are sick, they want their mom. Because if the betterment of children depended upon fathers, we would have been extinct a long time ago. Um, We're just not as compassionate and merciful as mothers are. Uh, But anyway, hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh, Back to my point. It is just a gross sickness. And unfortunately, there is no cure. There is no vaccine. There's nothing really you can do. You just have to wait it out. It's highly contagious. No cure at all, and so I did the smart thing, and I just avoided her. Um, But um, it reminded me all week long that truly we have a deeper problem. We have a much more contagious, a much more serious sickness, and the Bible calls it sin, and that's what we get to talk about together this morning. Sin truly is the worst disease of all. It's highly contagious. It affects all of us. There is no cure. There is no man-made remedy that any of us can offer. It's unavoidable for all of us. And yet, thankfully, God has provided the only solution. And to begin to look at the answer, I want you to open your Bibles up to Leviticus chapter 16 as we're beginning, or we're continuing this mini-series looking at the high holy days of the Old Testament, the fall high holy days. Last week, uh, we looked at Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year, or the Feast of Trumpets. Today, we're taking a look at Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Next week, we're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. But open up to Leviticus chapter 16 as we take a look really at the focal point of the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Uh, Many scholars have identified Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement, as the central passage 
in the five books of Moses in the Pentateuch, it really is the most significant of the high holy days for the Jewish people, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, where the sins of the nation of Israel were covered for yet another year. The one day, the only day, where the high priest could enter into the holy of holies and stand before the very presence of God. Again, open to Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 29 through 34, and we're going to look at these verses kind of through three lenses. Number one is the text itself. Number two, we're going to look at different traditions that have become associated with the Day of Atonement. And then number three, we're going to talk about the Day of Atonement today, how you and I as Christians, as believers, can observe the Day of Atonement. Again, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 29 through 34 is our passage. These verses are really the condensed, simplified presentation of what took place on the Day of Atonement. Chapter 16 covers it all. Verses 29 through 34 are really the summary. So let me read the verses in their entirety to you. Leviticus 16, 29 through 34, and then we'll break it down. Verse 29 says, this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as the priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Now you should have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. And just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so he did. Now, like I said, Leviticus 16, many Hebrew scholars have said that this is the central chapter of the first five books. That everything really points to this particular day, and the Day of Atonement really is, over time, has become the most significant day in the Jewish calendar. And Leviticus chapter 16 tells us all the details, verses 29 through 34 really give the summary, and we see the summary here is broken out into two major parts. We have the instructions for the people, and we have the instructions for the priest. So let's take a look first at the instructions For the people, this is verses 29 through 31. I'll read these for you again. And I want you to notice as I read these verses, the phrases that are repeated over and over again. Again, these are in the instructions God has for the people on the Day of Atonement. God says, this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the 10th day of the month, you shall humble your souls 
and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. For it is on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. So in God's instructions to the people for the Day of Atonement, the most important day on the Hebrew calendar, there's five major things that I want you to see here in these verses. Five major observations we see here in these three verses. Number one, God tells the people that this was to be a permanent statute for them. A permanent statute. We read that this was to be done every year, in other words, on the 10th day of the seventh month. They're to put it on their calendars. On the 10th day of the seventh month, every year, a permanent statute, so long as they're under this old covenant, this is something they're to do each and every year, year after year. The second thing we see here in these verses is that it's a Sabbath day. They're not to do any work. But the entire day as a Sabbath day was to be devoted really to the work of the Lord. To what's going on here with this process of atonement, which we'll talk about in a bit. But this particular day, the 10th day of the seventh month, every single year it's a Sabbath day, a day of rest. The third thing I want you to see here, and this is interesting, notice the last phrase of verse 29. God tells them, you're to do this whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. In other words, this particular day, the day of atonement, the 10th day of the seventh month, the Sabbath day, it's to be done, God says, not only for the native, the Israelite, but it's also to be done for the alien who resides among you. This particular phrase, this word describes Gentiles who are there in the land. So not only for Jew, but also for Gentile living there in the nation of Israel who's sojourning there in the land, this is a day that they're to observe as well. The fourth major observation I want you to see here, we see this phrase repeated twice in verse 29 and in verse 31, they're to humble their souls. Humble your souls, God says. Now this particular phrase is often associated with two major activities, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. You, you humble your soul by prayer and fasting, through prayer and fasting. These are the two major observances for Yom Kippur. And the fifth, the final observation I want you to see here in God's instructions for the people is that the purpose is atonement. Notice verse 30. It's on this day that atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. The purpose, obviously, of the day of atonement is for atonement to be made. Now, strictly speaking, atonement simply describes the process by which two conflicting parties are made at one with one another. 
The process by which two conflicting parties are brought together, reconciled, made at one with one another. And on this particular day, the sinful nation and a holy God is to be brought together at one with one another through this process of atonement. And we'll talk a little bit more about atonement later. But these are God's instructions for the people to observe on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Starting in verse 32, now we come to God's instructions for the priest. Let me read verses 32 through 34 for you again. Verse 32, giving the instructions for the priest, God says, So the priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as the priest in his father's place shall make atonement. He shall thus put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. Now you shall have this as a permanent statute to make atonement for the sons of Israel for all their sins once every year. So here we see, again, in summary fashion, the instructions that God gave for the priest on the Day of Atonement. A couple things I want you to see in these summary verses. Notice that atonement is repeated over and over again, right? On this particular day, atonement is made not only for the sins of the people, but also for the sins of the priests. Atonement is also made for the holy sanctuary or the tabernacle and temple. It's made for the altar. So not only the people, not only the priesthood, but the very place where God dwells with his people, atonement is made. So again, this day of all days is really the most significant day of all the high holy days. Now, again, these are summary verses. If you want to get a little more detail, uh, later on in the week, I'd encourage you to read the entire chapter of Leviticus chapter 16 and the verses we skipped over really give the details that God gives for the priest. The very details that God gives for the priest and all of the sacrifices that he was to make on that particular day. And let me just give you a quick overview of the details, these different sacrifices that the priest was, make, uh, was to make on the Day of Atonement. If you were to read in Leviticus chapter 16 and the opening verses, you see that the first thing that the high priest does is he takes off his normal garments and he puts on a white linen garment. He wears a special attire, a white garment that's representative of purity and of repentance. The next thing that the high priest does is he makes a sacrifice of a bull in order to have a sin offering for himself and for the entire priesthood. He then took the blood of that bull and he entered into the holy of holies, the very presence of God himself, and he sprinkled the blood of the bull on the altar on the mercy seat. Another thing the high priest did that we read about here in Leviticus 16 is he then selects two goats and he casts lots and on one of those goats he would sacrifice the goat and take the blood into the altar, into the holy of holies and again, uh, put the blood on the altar, the mercy seat. 
But then with the second goat called the scapegoat, he would put his hands on the scapegoat and confess the sins of the nation, symbolically transferring the sins of the nation into the scapegoat who would then be cast into the wilderness, taking away, symbolically taking away the sins of the nation into the wilderness. This entire day, we read the details about the details here in Leviticus chapter 16, but needless to say, it's a huge day. The focal day of the Old Testament. Now, let me explain a little bit more, though, about the Day of Atonement, going back to Abigail's hand, foot, and mouth disease. Like I said, there is no cure for hand, foot, and mouth disease. The only thing you can really do is wait it out. And as you wait it out, you can do a few things just to bring down the severity, the itching, the discomfort. You can apply different lotions as a salve in order to cover over the itching and the sores that break out over the hands, feet, and mouth. But the covering, the salve that you put over the rash, it really doesn't take the rash away. It just temporarily provides relief. And in the same way, that's what all of these sacrifices of the Old Testament did. It didn't really take away sin. It just provided a temporary covering, a temporary atonement in order to provide just a temporary relief for sin. It's only until Jesus shows up, the healer, that truly sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. It's only as far as uh, until the work of Jesus on the cross comes when our problem, our disease of sin is actually fully resolved. What we read about here in Leviticus chapter 16, this incredibly important day, a huge day, where through this covering, this atonement, it's possible for the nation of Israel to be with a holy God. It's an important day, not only in the Old Testament, Beginning Tuesday night of this week and into Wednesday, uh, we live around many Jewish communities here around Grace Bible Church, and uh, you may see different people who are observant Jews celebrating or observing the Day of Atonement starting Tuesday at sundown into Wednesday. And for them as well, the Day of Atonement is a very, very important day. However, When AD 70 happened, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple and with it the place of sacrifice. Jews today had to get very creative about how to celebrate and observe the Day of Atonement. And so I want to look at number two on your outline and let's talk about some of the traditions that have developed over time associated with Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. Even today, though, make no mistake about it, even without a temple, even without a place of sacrifice, this day of all days is a very important day. One Jewish scholar said that for thousands of years, Jews have understood that on this day, the day of atonement, it's possible to meet God. And on Tuesday night, Jewish people in our community all around us are going to be looking for ways to meet with God. So let's talk about some of the 
misguided traditions that I think are associated with Yom Kippur today. The first one there on your outline is related to that phrase, humble your souls. Remember, we saw this repeated a number of times in Leviticus 16, this idea that the Jewish people were to humble their souls. And again, with no temple, with no altar, with no sacrifices being made, you had to get real creative about what it means to humble your soul today. And so today, you may see your Jewish friends and neighbors abstaining from five activities as a way to try to humble their souls. Five things associated with this phrase, humble your souls, that are uh, an attempt at that today. Number one, on the Day of Atonement, there's absolutely no eating or drinking allowed. Absolutely no eating or drinking allowed of any kind, including water. It's a complete fast. Unless medical conditions prevent you otherwise, absolutely no eating or drinking as a way of humbling your soul. The second thing to abstain, to avoid at all cost, is wearing leather shoes. Um, Leather shoes are a sign of luxury, they're a sign of wealth, a sign of comfort. And so as a way of humbling your souls, you're not allowed to wear leather shoes. You you might wear tennis shoes or flip-flops or something like that, but absolutely no leather shoes of any kind. Number three, you have to avoid applying lotions or creams as well. Sorry, ladies, no lotions or creams, no facial cleansers or anything like that as a way of humbling your souls. Number four, no washing or bathing of any kind on the Day of Atonement. And number five, absolutely no engaging in marital relations for the Day of Atonement. Uh, Now, why? Uh, One Jewish scholar says Yom Kippur is the day on which we are instructed to separate ourselves as completely as possible from the mundane world in which we live, to devote ourselves with all our hearts and minds to our relationship with God. So again, all of this is related to that phrase we see in the Bible of humble your souls, but but all of this really is misguided. It's misguided. The second tradition you'll see observed today when it comes to the Day of Atonement is they had to seek out alternate ways to seek atonement. Because again, if you don't have a temple, if you don't have a place of sacrifice, then you have a big problem when it comes to the Day of Atonement. So they had to seek out alternate ways of trying to atone for their sins. A story is told in AD 70, when the Romans came into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, there were two rabbis who oversaw what took place. And one of the rabbis said to the other, well, what are we going to do now that the temple is destroyed, now that the altar has been destroyed? And the other rabbi said, listen to these sad words. He said, we have another means just as good for the forgiveness of our sins doing good to mankind. Another means, just as good for the forgiveness of sins, and it's doing good to mankind. And over time, the teaching of this particular rabbi, again, we disagree with this, but this ultimately means giving charity, giving money. And so, 
your Jewish friends and neighbors on the Day of Atonement, uh, they're very generous people. They give a lot of money to different charitable causes as a way of trying doing good to mankind to seek out some sort of alternate way of making atonement for their sins. But this is works-based righteousness. Make no mistake about it. There's a second way found within the Orthodox community uh, that's equally as sad. Some in the Orthodox community recognizing that a blood sacrifice has to be made for atonement, they actually do offer an animal as a sacrifice, a chicken. And so you can actually see YouTube videos of this, uh, those in the Orthodox community uh, making a sacrifice of a chicken as a means of trying to make atonement for their sins. Um, and what you ask, why a chicken? It's because the Aramaic word for chicken and the Hebrew, one of the Hebrew words for chicken sound very similar. And so literally, they, they think in their mind, a substitute is, is being made. A substitution is being made. And again, you can see YouTube videos of this where uh, they, they take a live chicken and pass it over their head three times and say, this is my substitute, my offering, my atonement. This rooster will meet its death, but I will enjoy a long and happy life. And then the chicken is sacrificed, is killed, and of course the meat has to be given away because being charitable is another tradition associated with Yom Kippur. Again, this is terribly sad. Terribly sad. When you think just, just how close they are, and yet how far at the same time. There's a third tradition associated with Yom Kippur. Uh, you may see your Jewish friends and neighbors wearing white on Yom Kippur. Because again, white symbolizes purity. It represents forgiveness. They attach this to the promise on Isaiah that although their sins are red as scarlet, God will wash them as white as snow. And so wearing White is a symbol, a tradition of what takes place on Yom Kippur. And um, some wear not only white, but they wear a particular garment called a kittel. And of course, you gotta know that I have one. And so let me put it on for you. If you're new to Grace, by the way, I like to dress up from time to time. Uh, this is just one of the weird things that I do. And so um, this is a kittel. It actually is a kittel. A kittel is um, also a Jewish burial cloth. And like I said earlier, if this whole preaching gig doesn't work out for me, then I already have my doctor's lab coat um, right here. And so um, I've already got the attire that I need. But uh, this is a kittle. This is a, a burial cloth, a burial garment uh, that you might see some people in our neighborhoods walking around wearing. And uh, why a burial garment? Because on the Day of Atonement, on Yom Kippur, this garment symbolizes death. That Yom Kippur for the Jewish people on it, they suffer a form of death. They're confronted with their own mortality and are instructed to live every day as if it was their last. Again, as you look at these traditions, um, humbling your soul, now that's a good thing. Prayer and fasting associated with it, that's a good thing. Recognizing every day as though it could be our last. That's something positive we could take away from the traditions of Yom Kippur. But by and large, as we look at the traditions associated with Yom Kippur, um, they're incredibly sad. And I want to be very clear that my intention here in highlighting these 
especially the chicken and the burial garment, it's not at all to make fun of anybody. Uh, But to show you, to to put on display again, just just how close uh, many Jewish people are to realizing their need of atonement, but looking for it in all the wrong places. And an easy application for you and for me as our Jewish friends and neighbors uh, enter into Yom Kippur Tuesday night and into Wednesday, one of the things we can certainly do is that God would bring to their minds and to their hearts the realization that Jesus truly is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. That it's only by the death of Jesus on the cross that our sins can be forgiven, that atonement can be made, and it's only through Jesus that this is possible. Nothing else works. So as we look at number three on your outline, I want to ask the question, if we're not going to do with these traditions we see practice today, how do you and I as Christians, as people who understand the significance of Jesus's atonement, how can you and I observe Yom Kippur this Tuesday night and Wednesday? I want to reiterate, as I did last week, that Uh, This is optional. We're not under the old covenant. Uh, We're not of the nation of Israel. So if you don't want to do anything, you don't have to. Uh, But if you want to use this opportunity as as a way to learn a little bit more about the Old Testament, to gain a greater appreciation of the work of Jesus, uh, there's a couple things I'd have for you. But it really boils down to this question. For you and I, for people who understand, who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, the, the ultimate question really is, for us, is the day of atonement one of repentance or of rejoicing? Is the day of atonement for you and I a day of repentance where we acknowledge and confess the reality of our sin and the consequences that it deserves facing the very wrath of God? Or is it for us a day of rejoicing? where we look to the cross, where we gain a greater appreciation for the work of Jesus and by consequence, the fact that we do not face the wrath of God. Is it for us a day of repentance or a day of rejoicing? What's fascinating is when you look in a writing called the Talmud, which is an explanation of the Old Testament, there's an ancient rabbi who even said that the day of atonement for the Jewish people was the happiest day on the calendar the happiest day on the calendar in recognition of the fact that God has forgiven their sins. But certainly today, for the Jewish people, the day of atonement is a day of repentance. It's a day of lamenting. But what about for us? To help us understand this, I want to come back to two words. I want you to understand two very important theological terms to help us gain a greater appreciation of this particular day. The first one is atonement. The second is a word propitiation. Atonement, like I said earlier, is the process by which two conflicting parties are made at one with one another. It does describe a reconciliation that takes place. But the particular Hebrew word Uh, related to the idea of atonement simply does mean to cover or a covering. And like I said, all of the sacrifices, all of the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, they didn't really take away sin, but they just covered over sin for one more year, 
for one more year, for one more year, until ultimately the sacrifice of Jesus was made on the cross. Atonement's not a bad word. It's a good word. But I would argue that the word propitiation is better. When we think about the work of Jesus on the cross, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, a great word, a a New Testament word I want you to understand is the word propitiation. I want you to turn over to the book of 1 John. We see the word propitiation used in the book of 1 John a number of times. First of all, go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The apostle says this, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And then flip over to chapter 4, verse 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, John says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The, the word for propitiation here, it describes really the consequences, the positive consequences of the work of Jesus on the cross, whereby the wrath of God was satisfied. That's what that word propitiation describes, the satisfaction of God's wrath. Again, in contrast, the Old Testament sacrifices just covered over sin year after year after year after year, just like a salve you put on your skin. It just covered over those sins. But on the cross, Jesus fully resolved, fully satisfied the penalty of sin, the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And in doing so, the wrath of God is propitiated, it's completely resolved. And when we realize this, I love the words of Charles Ryrie who said, if because of the death of Christ, God is satisfied, then what can a sinner do to try to satisfy God? The answer is nothing. Everything has been done by God himself. And this is the message we bring to a lost world. Receive the Savior who through his death satisfied the wrath of God. And listen, I gotta tell you, whether you're here in person or watching online, if this is news to you, if this is a message you don't really understand, I wanna urge you, I wanna invite you right where you're seated to to consider what the Bible says here. The painful reality is you and I are all sinners. This is the highly contagious, unavoidable, inescapable disease that we all have. We are sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we are deserving of God's eternal wrath. And yet the good news we see throughout the New Testament is that through the atoning work of Jesus, the wrath of God is completely satisfied. 
There's nothing God expects of you, nothing you can do other to, than to receive the gift by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone of the work of Christ on your behalf. If you've never trusted in him, you've never put your faith in him, I want to invite you right where you are to do just that. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. So this then brings me again to the question I have under number three on your outline. Is the day of atonement for you and for me to be a day of repentance or of rejoicing? Repentance or rejoicing? And I would propose to you, I think the answer is both. The day of atonement for us should be a painful reminder of the reality of our sin. There's nothing we can do to resolve, to fix this disease, this problem, this sickness that we all have. But it also should be for us a day of rejoicing. Where we realize even though there's nothing we can do, praise God, Jesus did it all. That as we sang earlier, Jesus paid it all. Now, there's nothing God expects of you except to have a relationship with him through his son. And this should lead us to an incredible place of rejoicing on this day of atonement when we realize the precious gift that God has given us in Christ our Savior. And there on the backside of your outline, I've given you a few application questions for this week, but your one thing for this week is this. I'd encourage you to find a way, some creative way, that you can observe Yom Kippur by focusing on the reality of your sin and on Jesus' sacrifice and his future return that day when we truly will be at one with our God. Now, thankfully, Abigail's hand, foot, and mouth disease ran its course. She got better. She's back to her old self. But sadly, during the duration of her illness, which is highly contagious, it spread to Judah, of course. Uh, pick on Judah all the time, but um, he just brings it on himself, I guess. But here's what happened. When uh, the symptoms began to appear in Judah's life, uh, he began to get these sores on his hands, feet, and mouth. We had all of the evidence before us that, Judah, you have Abigail's hand, foot, and mouth disease, but Judah refused to believe it. In his almost five-year-old mind, he could not come to terms with the fact that he got this sickness from his little sister. He saw what she went through all week long, and his mind refused to believe the evidence that was before him until the evidence could be denied no more. All over his body, all of these sores, itching, painful, nasty sores. And finally, Judah succumbed to the evidence and he admitted his sickness. Listen, the same is true for you and for me. We can try to deny the evidence. We can try to deny the reality of our sin. We can try to explain it away, saying, I just made a mistake, or it's no big deal, or everybody does it. But the reality is, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. But on this particular day of atonement, we're also met with the reality that we can rejoice that God has provided the only solution, the only cure, the only remedy for this terrible disease of sin. And so I want to invite you this Tuesday and Wednesday to rejoice with me and celebrate the redemption that we have in Christ our Savior. Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you. 
for the reminder yet again, here we see in scripture of the, the painful reality of our sin. We're confronted in scripture, we're confronted in our own life time and time again of the truth that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, of the reality that we are deserving God of your wrath, that uh, there's nothing we can do to remedy this situation in which we're in. There's nothing we can do to bring for ourselves a cure. And Father, this morning, we're also reminded with hearts rejoicing that through your son, through the sacrifice of Jesus, you have given us everything we need. You have given the salve for our souls. You have forgiven our sins. You've taken them as far as away as the east is from the west. And so, Father, thank you for looking in on us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and making us alive together in Christ. And Father, now as we turn our attention to communion, to the Lord's table, I pray that you would continue to remind us of this truth. Continue to fill us with the awe of your love, your grace, your mercy in our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.